Welcome to the Base Training Podcast. Um, this week I am here as always with Stefan, Will and myself. And this week we're going to be talking about um, UK military and Tier 2 tactical athletes. Um, mainly about the UK military um, and what that involves and the sort of testing standards and the physical attributes required um, and how you might go about getting ready for those um, endeavours passing Royal Marines training and parachute regiment training and some areas of police, fire, fire, fire service and Coast Guard. Um, but first, we're going to tell you where you can find us. As always, super quick. We're going to see if we can do it in under a minute. Um, <laughs> Thomas. Wait, I'm going to actually get my timer up. See what it takes. Oh, no, I've, gone past, I've gone past it. Hang on. Hang on. We could have done it by now. Uh, <laughs> God's sake, Lee. I know. We're going to told everyone by now. Um, okay, three, two, one, go. Stefan, where can everyone find you? Okay, Instagram, coach, underscore Stefan, underscore Winder, LinkedIn, Stefan Winder, MSC, email, Stefan at Facebook Training, Facebook, Stefan Winder, Strength and Movement Coach. Will. Uh, Instagram is coach underscore Will underscore Strathy, LinkedIn, Will Strathy, Facebook, Will Strathy, Health and Fitness Coach, email, Will at base.training, Lee. <laughs> Relay. Um, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, Lee Carter UK. Email, Lee at base.training. And the website, www.base.training. Email info at base.training. 38 seconds. It's not too bad. That's like the 400 meter world record relay. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine that? Like, people have just run 400 meters. Like in the world, the record's like 37 seconds, I think. Yeah. And they yeah. just run that. Four people have just run 400 metres. That's crazy, isn't it? The time it took us to say that. Um, I think we can beat them, though. Thank you. <laughs> cool. So, Tier 2 Tactical Athletes. Um, this involves, like I've already alluded to, and we're going to stick mainly to the military side of things as this kind of where, where that starts to push towards as you start talking about tactical athletes and the, te- the tiers of them. Last week we spoke about tier three, this week instead of tier two, we're going to be focusing mainly on the Royal Marines, um, the parachute regiment. You could put infantry uh, training in there as well um, as they go through a separate, um, more intensive infantry school, infantry uh, battle school, I think it's called. Um, and you can also fit in areas of the police, like the counter-terrorist units, um, the fire service, not so much over here, but over in Australia and America where they have large wildfires, you can get uh, firefighters that parachute jump into the fire, essentially, who kind of fight it from within. Um, and areas of the Coast Guard uh, that do a lot of search and rescue, pararescue men, and that will like, jump into raging seas to swim with a line, a winch line to someone to try and lift them out um, after a capsized boat or something like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about the testing standards, mainly for the Royal Marines and the Parachute Regiment um, and the areas slightly above those, and the physical attributes required and the way we might go about training someone that comes to us um, for help with those. Um, so Stefan, I know that like, we talked about in the past, you, you gave some thought to joining Royal Marines and you've done a fair bit of research around the training requirements and testing standards. So what are they? What what are they looking for? 
So uh, on the potential Royal Marines course, which is the course that everyone has to go through to essentially be given a place into basic training, uh, there are a series of physical tests. So there's a, a gym-based testing battery. Um, there's tests of aerobic capacity and cardiovascular fitness as well in there. Um, and then they're kind of mental grit tests as well, uh, which is literally just these things essentially to see if you've got the right mentality to keep pushing when you're physically drained and you haven't really had much sleep and you're fatigued and but you can just keep going and going and going it doesn't really matter what your times are in those tests it's more about like can you just keep pushing on and keep going even when it's really hard so um in terms of the basic physical fitness standards uh you have a bleep test an assessment of your vo2 max as close as we could get it without being invasive or taking any internal measures or direct oxygen and carbon dioxide measures without very expensive testing equipment. Um, so bleep test is done over 20 meters on a gym floor uh, and you literally just have to make it to the line every time that the audio track beeps. Uh, pretty self-explanatory, you do it as a big group and just keep going and going. So the standard that they're looking for is a level 14.5 on that test, which is quite high. If you've ever done a bleep test before, you know that, that by the time you get to that level, you're already pretty tired and the beats just keep getting faster so you're pretty much a, a, I'd almost say well depending on you and your ability i'd say that's pretty much an all-out sprint for most people going backwards and forwards short sharp quick turns back around and then going again back and back and back between the beats. so it's quite hard um so looking for a level 14.5 there on top of that you'll then go out and do a squad run um which is a, another test of aerobic capacity so you'll do it as a as a team you'll do 2.4 kilometers in 12 and a half minutes which is guided by the PCI. and then on the way back you do the exact same route that you've just done on the way back another two and a half uh, sorry 2.4 k uh, and this is an individual best effort so they're looking for sub 10 minutes 30 here if you're just getting around 10 30 or 10 minutes it's probably not good enough you probably want to be aiming for sub 10 minutes realistically if you want to be in with a shout um, so those are your aerobic capacity assessments. Then you've also got your strength endurance assessments. So there's a push-up beep test, there's a sit-up beep test, and there's a pull-up beep test. So um, it's not just an AMRAP. It's not how many you can do in a certain amount of time. It's like, can you do it and keep doing it to the required speed? So the speeds don't, like the beeps, unlike the, the running beep test, they don't get any faster. They, uh, they stay consistent, but you just have to keep in time with the beep. So they're looking for 60 push-ups, they're looking for 85 sit-ups, and they're looking for 16 pull-ups. Um, again, very, very tough, and they're all kind of one after another. So it's not good to just be good at one of them. You have to be good at all of them, and you have to be have the capacity to be able to keep exerting that amount of effort. Um, and then the other test that they do they do um, a portion of bottom field which is quite an infamous testing course you'll be doing that with all kinds of weird and wacky things like fireman's carries you'll be carrying a partner do like a 200 meter sprint um duck walks rope climbs all this kind of stuff and there's no there's no end time to it they'll just keep going and you'll just keep doing laps and laps and laps until they think that you guys have had enough so that's more of a determination test uh, and then they'll also take you on the endurance course, which is a two-mile course, 
and then a, a four-mile run back to camp, back to Limpston. Um, this wouldn't, like, when you get into basic testing, this is one of your pass-out tests, and you'll be doing it in full equipment, so carrying uh, 32, 32 or 30, 32 or 35 kilos plus rifle. Um so a six-mile endurance course, best effort, plus you then have to be fit enough to fire t- six out of ten shots at a target. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, even just to kind of earn your place on there, it's quite a hard slog. It's a four-day weekend, uh, very, very tough standards, but they kind of pride themselves on that ability to be fight and fit after prolonged exposure to hard work. Like the Falklands War is one of their linchpins for the whole course. So... It's all based on that and how the distance they kind of had to travel. So strength, endurance, and aerobic capacity is massively important for these guys. Not saying that any other military it's not important, but for these guys, uh, it's one of their flagships, and that's kind of why they stand out above the, the British Army, uh, the Royal Navy as a whole, and the Royal Air Force, why they're more of a specific regiment and corps. And so girls now. Um, and girls now, which is an important part to mention is that they are able to now apply and go through that training um it's a it's a massive test of resilience isn't it it's so easy to focus on the the bleak test or the um section of bottom field or get really good at pull-ups but actually it's it's as you said earlier it's how resilient are you after prolonged exposure to hard work so across the course of four days um, and then into the actual training for the Royal Marines 30 odd weeks um, like you have to be extremely resilient so it's not just about how fit you are um, it's actually more about how robust you are um, so you can be super fit for one day but doing that over and over and over again is, is an extremely tough challenge um, I think that's unfortunately where female physiology will let most down um, and I say most because there are going to be a few that pass it eventually but in generally speaking the uh, female physiology isn't necessarily built for um, that level of prolonged manual labor I suppose is a better word or physical um, output um, it's not to say they can't do it or won't be able to do it, but in general, general speaking, it's probably going to be it's, it's a bigger challenge for females. Um, but if there's any females out there that are listening to this that are thinking about giving it a go, because of those limiting factors, I think it's even more important to have someone in your corner that knows what you do, knows what they're doing, and knows how to best prepare you for it. Because you know, it can be so easy to just try and run yourself into the ground or try and get as strong as you can when and and as quick as possible when actually you, you might need two maybe three years of training to build up to it and that goes for the males as well um you to to really become resilient you need years of prolonged and uh, uh, prolonged exposure uh, to sh- physical stresses to create the adaptions necessary to become robust enough do you guys agree to that yeah, definitely. So it's very easy if you were to read those tests before you went in, let's say a year before you wanted to join, and all you done was train just to get better at those tests. There's going to be some serious flaws in your general robustness. 
and your ability to handle like high volume and high intensity workload like you will have to on the course if you only specifically train to pass tests like if you're at that level of um you want to be a tactical athlete at that level of capability you have to be able to perform a huge amount of tasks a huge amount of different tasks as well very well all the time so you can't just be very good at the testing parameters because they'll find your flaws in you elsewhere and you will get injured very quickly yeah um i kind of liken it to it's have it's having the aerobic capacity of kind of a i suppose a national level um middle distance runner with the physical robustness of a national level uh, probably combat athlete Right, you have to be really strong and enduring, uh, powerful at times, but still have a massive engine on you, a <laughs> massive gas mm. tank. Uh, and they, and because it's so general, um, it's hard to train for. It becomes extremely hard to train for because it's so easy to just focus on, or, or get pulled into focusing on one thing, focusing on your aerobic capacity or focusing on your strength and getting too strong. Um, we often think, and I, I had this... Uh, have this dilemma with some of the clients that I'm working with, uh, tactical athletes, and going through these processes in that they want to continually progress their strength numbers um, or they want to continually progress their two-mile time and get faster and faster at that. And I've recently tested someone's two-mile time and said they were like, oh, but three or four months ago, I used to be able to do a six-minute mile for five miles. I'm like yes and that's great but there's a point where you become too fast and when we stick a, a weighted rucksack on your bergen and go right i need you to go for 30 miles for instance which is obviously one of the final tests of uh, royal marines commando training you suck <laughs> you can't carry the weight because you're not strong enough because you've um, there's been diminishing returns when you've got to uh, being super fast um, and too aerobic not strong enough or too strong and not aerobic enough um so the parachute within the royal marines training there as well we mentioned about um the um the basic training 30 or 36 odd weeks um again stefan you, you've probably done the most research into this what sort of tests are they doing towards the end and throughout these um this period uh, so, testing is obviously quite regular um, because they need to call the people that they think may not necessarily be at the right time at that point in time. Because uh, the Royal Marines, I believe, it's the only corps where at the end of basic training they're deployable. They can go straight into the front line. Um, so by the end of the first two weeks, they they can literally be deployed to Afghanistan or wherever it is around the world that they're required. So they have to be combat ready um, and they have to be resilient enough and they have to have this the right set of skills to just slot into any regiment um, and not stand out like a sore thumb and not be a weak link like because you're only as strong as your weakest link so um testing is quite regular i think it's probably every two to three weeks there is some kind of test whether that's uh, a psychometric evaluation whether that's a medical test whether that's uh, some kind of physical fitness test or a skills test. Uh, it could be a weapons test. 
Uh, it could be an overnight excursion. It could be an orienteering uh, test. There's, there's con- constant testing done throughout the entirety of the 32 weeks to make sure that that person is at the sufficient level to continue to progress to the next phase of training. Um, don't, don't make the cut. They drop back and they join and um, to then repeat that training phase to get themselves to the standard to then pass the test and obviously they'll retake the test and hopefully they'll then continue and progress to the next phase of training if they did fail. Um, so some of the tests, um, there are, like I said, there's overnight excursions where they have to do, uh, it'll be nighttime and they'll have to know the route of the map. Um, they just have a map and compass and they have to navigate the rough terrain of Dartmoor. Um, in all kinds of weather conditions. They don't stop it if it's really heavy driving rain. Uh, that's kind of where they thrive. So you will be expected to do that in a specific time. Um, and this is all geared towards your pass out. So pass out, uh, commando, what they call the four commando tests. You've got a 30 miler march where you and your troop, you have full kit, full webbing, full bergen, rifle. You have to complete 30 miles in a specific time. Um, that's your final test. You also have your endurance test, which I mentioned earlier. So it's a two-mile endurance course, going through all kinds of obstacles. You've got your, your infamous sheep dip, and you're crawling through tunnels, again, with um, a small Bergen uh, weapon and a rifle. So you have to make sure that your rifle stays in working condition the entire time. So you have to stay focused, because you will be firing six shots at the end. Once you completed the two-mile course, it's a four-mile run back to, uh, back to Limston, to then fire you six shots out of ten, and that's, that I believe that has to be done in under fifty minutes, which is a hard effort. It's a hard effort. Um, then the other test you got is your nine mile speed march, um, and the other test is your your Tarzan course. So this includes Buckfield. It's an aerial assault course in full kit and Bergen. Loads of rope climbing, loads of obstacles to navigate in the in the air plus uh, the bottom field part of the test. So really, really hard physical week of testing. Uh, but this is done for training up for the week. So it's hard to actually get into Royal Marines. Um, but like I said, you don't want to be too strong or too fit because training is designed for you to get better and better so that you are prepared to take these tests at the end. If you arrive, probably like fit enough. I think it'd be very rare for someone to arrive fit enough to just turn, it up, turn up and do a commando test. Uh, but if someone trained for those rather than training, uh, get themselves ready for basic training, then I think they will probably get worse as they go on and they won't survive and they'll probably get injured. Uh, so it's trying to strike that balance of being robust enough and fit enough to pass those tests just so that you are going to pro- progress in training, um, but not too fit that you ended up getting worse because it's not enough stimulus for you. Yeah. So it's quite the balance out. Yeah. <laughs> couple of points I thought it was quite important to mention where uh, you meant or to recap on is that you said uh, at the end of it they're fully deployable um, like after 36 weeks in the military <laughs> you can then within a couple of weeks be sent straight out to um, an operational theatre I think only the only other regiment will be able to do that with some parachute regiment whereas um, like the core arms like the Royal Engineers, Royal Logistics Corps, after basic training, you then have a period of trade training. So mine lasted a year, a year, 
year and a half. So I did my basic training and then did my combat engineer training. Then I did my driver training and then I did my trade training. So all in all, I was in training for t- about two and a half years before I got to my regiment um, and then deployed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how they have to cover all these skills. This is why it's so intense and why you, you can't just rely on uh, physical fitness and being the Ferrari. Um, you have to be a tractor that kind of just grinds away. It's able to grind away every day and you can replace its parts really easily or just taper up. Um, right. <laughs> I used to drive, my, my training engineers was a, um, as a plant operator and I, I, the prop shaft on one of my tractors broke once or it was breaking, you could see it fracturing. And we used black tape with it, <laughs> uh, black nasty tape, um, like masking tape. Like a couple of rolls of that and it held it together for long enough to get it back to camp <laughs> so like it just goes to show how robust you you need to be to pass these um this process um and within this we've got um the brf which is the brigade reconnaissance force you can it's not quite special forces but it's um a slight step forwards from a uh, what you would call the average Royal marine um and it's on the line of a mountain leader as well, which a lot of people would have heard of. Uh, one of the most, like, again, most arduous courses in the military, mountain leaders course. Nine weeks course. Um, it's, a, it's a selection process. You can fail it, pass or fail. They do map reading. Again, longer, because the clues in the title became reconnaissance, they might be um, asked to parachute into an area behind enemy lines to then patrol to an area, maybe... 10, 15, 20, 30 miles, and then do some reconnaissance on it for a couple of days, extract to an extraction point, could be X amount of distance away, carrying all their kit, all their um, food and water for the next couple of days and so on, before they get lifted out. Um, so again, there's there's even slightly more requirements for the strength endurance part and the absolute strength part. Um, the aerobic capacity would probably have been built and built upon during the basic training enough so that you can pass that course. Um, it's the physical robustness again that needs to be increased. So we've also got the parachute regiment, um, which like the sister regiment of Royal Marines. Um, they probably wouldn't like me saying that. They're kind of <laughs> on equal par to each other, uh, although they will batter that out. Um, but a parachute regiment, slightly um, less time frame in terms of their training. Um, I think it's 28 weeks, if I remember right. Um, but their their job role is slightly different in their, that the Marines are, are quite, they're very much about long, slow dis, long distance, at slower speeds with heavier weights. Whereas the parachute regiment, their role in theory is shorter distances, but fast with relatively heavy, heavy weights. Um, so there's two slightly different roles there, but which which is why the training is a little bit more condensed uh, based on that principle. Um, but their standards are, if I remember right, a nine minutes 30 um, for the basic to, to start. They don't have a potential Royal Marines course or course like the Royal Marines do. Um, they do the basic um, potential soldier course. Um, if I remember right, 2.4 kilometer run this might have changed by now um, in under 9 30 um 
push-ups and sit-ups, I think it was like 52 and like 75 in two minutes. Um, and then you go through the basic military standard testing. Um, I think that's changed a bit now into a 2K run. But again, the, the distance is, is pretty um, negligible. The same requirements are still needed. Um, but then again, the, the same process applies in terms of physical robustness and the testing standards and the regular testing standards um, as the Royal Marines. But in the end, they have a week-long test week, um, which involves, I think it's like six or seven different tests, um, a 10-mile um, ruck or tab, whatever you want to call it, with 16 kilos plus water in under an hour 50. Um, and then they do the trainasium, which is like a big frame that you walk along. It's more of a confidence test and a uh, mental test than anything. Um, they do a log race, which is horrible. <laughs> a steeple chase, again, which is horrible. Um, and they do a, a two-miler, which is uh, carrying, I think it's again, 16 kilos in under 18 minutes. Um, they do an endurance test, which is the 20-miler, in four hours, carrying 16 marks, 16 kilos, uh, and they do a stretcher race as well. And they also do a minute of milling, which uh, is essentially just punch each other for a minute. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then when you're told to stop, you stop dead. <laughs> and if you get knocked out, the other one wins. Quite simple. Um, <laughs> again, a bit more of a test of your psychological capabilities. Uh, can you um, control your anger and let it out when it's needed and stop it when it's needed again the the physical attributes are pretty similar although i'd say there's a bit more speed um or need for speed <laughs> the speed the need for speed for the parachute regiment in, their, in terms of their testing week would you guys agree with that yeah definitely i think what you said is like a perfect comparison um you've got royal marines who are detractors they're just shifting loads and loads of kit um, over long distances to to an insertion point potentially, whereas um, parachute regiment P company they are dropping in behind enemy lines majority of the time, um, so they can't be detected. So you don't, you don't want to see loads of them just marching and marching and marching. <laughs> they need to drop in uh, and they need to move quickly so that they don't get caught potentially. So it has they have to be quick and they need to carry all the kit that they're going to need to survive for whatever amount of time they're going to be in that area of four so uh, the ability to move quicker with higher load is going to be more important to them versus the Royal Marines where they are still an infantry group so uh, for them going over long distances isn't as much of an issue because they're not behind enemy lines at that point potentially um, although they could be I'm not saying that they won't be but for a lot of the time it's progressing to a target point to then set up uh, some kind of insertion potentially so it's um but again it depends where they are and what they're doing but definitely the contrast is quite apparent yeah it's uh, it's similar I've, I've worked with both groups. Uh, i've worked with both in on on operations and um <laughs> the the marines do tend to favor like longer patrols with heavier kit like it's just that was one of my first operations that i did was like long it was long patrols into an air into an area like we would insert by helicopter in like 10k away and then we would patrol in whereas the powers would go a lot closer and they would want a bit more element of surprise and a bit more speed and so on um where but the the 
the goal was the, essentially the same <laughs> to clear the area. Um, they just did it slightly different ways. Uh, I think it's important to mention the attached arms to these or, as well, so, so you can get elements from um, the cores of the army, so the engineers, the logistics, the medics, who are then parachute regiment trained or Royal Marines trained. They don't go through the basic training, they'll go through a slightly condensed course um, and then attach to the Royal Marines or the parachute regiment. So you have a built up like a brigade um, of airborne or brigade of uh, commando trained. Yeah. Again, the, however, the due, like due to the operational requirements of the military now, like it's very unlikely that um, the Marines will do an amphibious insertion. Like D-Day is a, is a classic example of the commando units doing an amphibious beach landing and the airborne units parachuting in. So uh, you've got Sword, Gold, Juno Beach and Arnhem. Like they parachuted in and, and they started it near enough at exactly the same time but inserted by different uh, means. It's very, it's very unlikely that they'll do that these days um, just because of the nature of warfare has changed. Um, but again, within these, within the parachute regiment, you've got the Pathfinders and the Special Forces Support Group. Again, like they're, they're rung up the ladder, um, not quite tier one yet, um, but again, they require a separate uh, selection process Whereas where they'll go through the um, <clears throat> the pathfinders will go through their own kind of mini version of of the start of the SAS and SBS selection, um, and SFSG will go through the first phase of if I remember right um, of SAS selection. Then they'll go off and do their own thing. Um, again, the requirements are pretty same. They need to be good generalists first and foremost, but they also need to have a strong aerobic capacity and a high level of strength endurance now because the load that they're required to carry is now increasing. Um, they're not going to be supplied potentially by a brigade of helicopters <laughs> every couple of days. Um, they're going to be out on their own for long and more self-sufficient for longer periods of time so they have to carry their kit. So for instance, um, when I did some operations in Afghanistan, um, we would helicopter in with a day's worth of kit, so a day's worth of water and a day's worth of food. But we might be out for three weeks, but every day or two we would get resupplied, either via helicopter, via parachute drop, or via um, uh, like road and uh, logistical. Uh, is that the right word? By a road, yeah, the best way of putting it, um, by convoy. So like, we were light and fast and didn't have to carry all our kit, even though it was still heavy. Um, in terms of food and water, we would we'd just be resupplied every day or two. Um, whereas the BRF, the Pathfinders and the SFSG are now going out for three weeks at a time, but they might get resupplied once. So they need to carry two weeks of stuff at a time. I think... Uh, the, the the Bravo Two Zero patrol, which anyone that has is has ever gone for special forces around has, has probably read that book. Um, they were carrying uh, twenty four liter, like two twenty four liter uh, jerry cans on the patrol with them. Like that was their carry. Like their rifle was just slung in front of them, and they were 
essentially farmers carrying these jerry cans each but because they weren't sure how long they were going to be out for and in the desert if you think each man needs to be drinking like six to eight liters a day right if you're there for a week how, how much is, is that like 40 to 50 liters of water that you 40 need? to 50 liters yeah. yeah per person so you can imagine like how much you actually need to carry and then you've got to carry your food and then you've got to carry all your warm kit and then you've got to carry all your ammunition weapon systems and then you've got to carry all your um, signals kit spare batteries all that sort of stuff spare ammunition um, and other surveillance kit that these guys might be carrying pathfinders and uh, brf because that's their role their reconnaissance forces so again the strength endurance component becomes ever more important um we talked a little bit about this so what sort of um training might you put someone through let's say let's throw a uh, a bit of a grenade in there and go a female that is aspiring royal marine um that is let's say two years out from their potential war marines course what sort of stuff might you put them through or might be considering so for me um to establish a baseline um use the tests that are available like you know exactly what the tests are that they're going to be faced on so establish where they sit where their current strengths um so put them through a push-up bleep test put them through a sit-up bleep test put them through a pull-up bleep test put them through the actual running bleep test put them through the two 2.4k efforts, put them through this uh, a swimming test. Um, establish that baseline because you don't need to go too specific yet. Like, but this is what they're going to face on the day, so it'd be really good to kind of prioritise where they sit. Are they cardiovascularly uh, durable? Are they? Do they have strength endurance? Do they have either of those? Um, and then maybe you can throw some strength tests in there as well, some absolute strength tests, but. Um, I probably wouldn't worry about that at this point. Um, I'll just use those baseline tests, get your measures. Uh, and then from there, you can program. Um, but I would be of the inclination to do volume to start with, just everything volume, um, just really long and slow sessions, um, just trying to acquire as much strength, endurance, and aerobic capacity as possible. what you're trying to build? The base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's exactly there. right. And so maybe for the first year, um, you'll do that that kind of stuff, just building volume, um, and then you can retest. Have you got them closer towards achieving those those scores? Have you got them closer to sixty push-ups to bleed? Have you got them closer to sixteen pull-ups to bleed? Are they able to complete eighty-five sit-ups to bleed? All these kind of things, and then you can start to prioritise and get more specific in the training. And from that point, you can start to introduce the higher intensity stuff as well, because you've taken all that time to build a rounded and robust individual with high exposure to loads of different motor patterns. That's when you can really start to ramp up the intensity over the next year to ensure that they're going to have that mental resilience and capacity to actually then do the potential Royal Marines course, pass it, and then actually be capable of that first couple of weeks of training, but not quite at the level where they're going to just fly through it but there's going to be a nice stimulus for them to begin to progress towards becoming a royal marines commando yeah i would say like in terms of preparation time at least 
like in most cases, I would say probably like a very high percentage of cases, at least two years in terms of um, lead up time to get ready for the, for the PRMC. Um, like maybe even a little bit longer, especially for females, um, because it is harder to develop strength. Just unfortunately, it is again, unless you've got that um, like sort of genetic potential within there, where you pack on muscle, get strong really quickly. Um, if you're someone of, of like a lower level of testosterone production, it's going to be harder for you to get strong. We need to make sure that you're taking time to develop the tendon strength and the skeletal strength because the biggest um, risk factors are things like stress injuries, um, stress fractures and tendon tendinopathies, tendon issues. Um, it's not that you're not fit enough, but we, we, like you, ha- you can lift, you might be able to lift 85 kilos in a back squat for five reps, but can you do that day in, day out or a high percentage of that day in, day out? Like, can your tendons take that? Um, that's what we're really thinking about, especially for a female. I think um, that that lead up time is absolutely paramount. And I think a lot of people, as well as the males, don't give that enough thought. Um, they think, oh, 26 weeks, we might be running once or twice a week, but yeah, you're not running. You're not running most of the time in comfy ASICs with a big cushion on the hill that can absorb a lot of those forces. You're running in heavy boots with added weight on there with a rifle uh, through uneven terrain just pounding concrete every single day um, on little sleep you're, you're eating a lot yes but on a little sleep um, so we have to consider tendon strength and skeletal strength as a, as a massive focus um, what about you will what are we what be your thoughts so it's a bit of a conundrum because if you had two years to train this uh, a female towards that you would gain a lot more gains if you trained in line with their biology right around their menstrual cycle but the problem is that the training course and the selection process has no regard for the timing of female biology um so whilst i think it would be great in order to build a huge a bigger base of ability for them training around their menstrual cycle so programming their strength work and their aerobic work relative to their hormone balance uh, may lead to maybe quicker improvements but i think for then the next year you would you wouldn't be able to train in regard to that because they they won't have that uh, luxury when they're on the course of being oh wow well, today this, this is day 10 of my cycle, I need to be doing my strength work when that's all you're going for a 10 mile run. So like whilst I would want to train in line with their female biology, we'd only be able to do that for some of the time leading up to it. Because you have to prepare them to be able to perform at different times of their cycle. Um, that's the way I'd go. Yeah, you have- Try and get as much gains built whilst they've got that, uh, the hormones to help them. Uh, and then lead them into where they just have to do it regardless. Yeah, t- timing is extremely important with that, isn't it? Because if you, if you start that idea too early, they could get halfway through training and the negative effects of that might kick in. Um, whereas if you start it like too late, then 
then they're not used to it and not accustomed to it. So that it is, is an extreme, it's an extremely com complicated process, but I think it just has to take time. Um, we can't ignore the, the physiology of the female being different. Like they're not just you'd have put enough work in that. Yes, they're at a certain period of their, their cycle where they may be feeling low on energy and uh, low in force production, mm. but you've done enough work before that you're low force production is still high enough quality that you can succeed on the course yeah. so it's bringing up your kind of minimum effort to a really high place so your minimum effort is still enough yeah because there's no especially when you, you start going up the tiers at tier one um they used to be um like for the mile and a half different times for males and females um, the, the females may have like an extra 20 seconds or whatever it was um, whereas now it's starting to become um, because, because the even even like women have been fighting on the front lines for a lot longer than people think like I went to Iraq in 2006 we had females accompanying us on patrols I went to Afghanistan in 2009 again we had females accompanying us on patrols like doing the same fighting that we were that the males were um, so it's not a it's not a new new idea this um, so it's important to have that in your head um, but it's, it's like we have to consider um, things like body fat to muscle mass ratios like they're gonna have to be leaner or on the leaner side of things because it's gonna negatively impact their power output if they're not uh, but it's going to uh, potentially negatively impact their general health and longevity and we need to we need to consider longevity when it comes to courses like the parachute regiment and the royal marines because they're not short courses like they're not a um, a six-week basic training course like <laughs> that you might get for uh, someone going into the, the regular army or the, the air force or the navy um, these are long arduous courses where you have to be able to sustain high outputs day in day out um, as i said under high levels of stress, little sleep, um, potentially poor quality foods. They get a lot of food, especially in the Royal Marines. Um, they're four meals a day. Um, but yeah, it's like it, it, we have to consider those issues. So I think the the biggest part for me really is time and like the skeletal and tendon strength. Um, what about what would you do for a a, a guy in a similar situation? Uh, so my approach probably wouldn't differ too much um, like Will said you have to regards to the female you need I would definitely in that first year use that biology to your advantage to adjust the, the minimum effort applied to be able to uh, elicit strength um, but for a male you just have to look at them you have to obviously have that consultation you need to know their training history where they've been what they're doing um, to then kind of identify a clear route map of where you want to go with them. Because, uh, for example, you might do this baseline testing with them and they might fly through it. So for them, uh, they might have super high um, muscular endurance, strength endurance and aerobic capacity. Like they, That might be biological as well. It might be quite ectomorphic, like classic eye type, uh, where that suits them. But they might not have much strength or power output. They might not have that alactic strength capacity. So for them, you might want to rein in that strength endurance and you want to focus a little bit more towards building 
um, their strength capacity and their absolute strength. Because if they haven't got absolute strength, like you said, their skeletal system is just going to crumble because they've never been exposed to that kind of intensity before. And when it's repeated effort uh, and the ability to keep doing it day in, day out, um, you probably will break quite quickly. So uh, you have to look at the person and you have to look at their training history, previous injuries, um, their, their biology, their body types, and you have to kind of figure out your plan from there. But until you get that testing done and you've had that conversation, you can't say for sure what you're going to do with them, unfortunately, because it's completely individual. Yeah, it's interesting how the, the te- as I said, the tests are the same for male or female. Um, and the principles are the same. We still want high levels of strength endurance. We still want um, high levels of skeletal and tendon strength endurance. Um, they still need to have a big aerobic capacity and muscular endurance base. They still have adequate levels of power and force application. But the way in which one might get there is extremely different. What like we we might have a female where it's just a straight line. We get there. We might have a male where you're just going to like it's just a squiggly line, a real um, complicated process to get there because they've got their own um, individual factors that influence their outcomes. So they might have a really high stress job before they enter. Um, it might be someone in school going through their A levels. They might come to you at sixteen um, and say, "I want to join the Marines, but I'm going through my A levels. I'm quite stressed at the moment, and as soon as I've done them." I'm doing my, I've already got my PRMC booked. Um, so, and again, uh, 16, 17 is still developing. Um, if you just go in and just throw random volume at people and random intensity at people, you're going to increase their risk of actually failing. So if you want to increase their risk of passing, I would recommend that it needs to be individualized at that point to get the most out of that person, to give them the best chance. Yes. There are going to be outliers that respond well. And again, at 16, 17, 18, you do respond, most cases, pretty well to pretty varied training. But that doesn't mean it's right. You are, I think, like I said, I think, one, you are removing, or you're increasing the chances of failing. And in the other, you're increasing the chances of passing. You still might pass in both. You still might fail in both. But as I said, the chances of failing and passing are they differ with different approaches. Um, so it always comes back to individualization, doesn't it? Because, um, like we said, we've got the general tests of yeah, can you do this? No, but why can't you do that? We have to then apply different tests for different people. So someone might come to us, and again, a female might come to us, and they do these tests, um, and it shows that their VO2 max is really low. Okay, why is it really low? Is it oxygen uptake? Is it a hormonal issue? So we might go, okay, we need to get you some blood tests. Whereas a a male might come with exactly the same um, problem and say, yep, VO2 max is really low. Okay, you need to do a lot more running. Like the two very different methods of getting there um, to the same endpoint. Anything to add, guys? No, not at all. I think the, I'll just say that. Yeah, the, it oh God, sorry. potentially is easier with the female because you do have this huge like advantage you can utilize. You, you have periods where they are their phys- physical capability is much increased. 
Uh, and if you utilize that, uh, you probably get move forward a lot quicker. Obviously, it doesn't say you rush the process and skip steps, but you do have this advance you over the guy. It's there, let's say they're at the same level the whole time. Like, you just have to keep grinding. Where the woman, a uh, woman, a female, like, if you periodize it properly and program it properly, like, you probably make bigger steps quicker. But obviously, when you make too many big steps too quickly, it can negatively impact it. But I think it potentially is, I don't know, I've never been there, potentially maybe easier to program for a woman, uh, a female, um, than a male because of the huge physiological advantage you've got. Yeah. Right. And if, if that is utilised properly and managed properly, like, in my kind of thought process, like, that's easier. Like, you've literally got someone helping you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, it's the opposite. You've just got to grind because you've got, yes, you've got hormones to help you, but they're not fluctuating and in the same way. Like, it's just more of a grind process than a, the opposite. Yeah, I uh, I remember my like lead up to going into the into the army. Like I didn't have any guidance. Was I didn't have a clue what to do. Like not one single clue. <laughs> like, I remember just I think I went went for like one or two runs a week, and then I was just playing rugby and doing judo. That was that was literally all I remember. Um, I don't remember like going doing anything specific in the gym um and i found it hard like struggled struggled with it um i think it was only because the i think one of the reasons i got through my training and my basic training by no means was hard was because of the years of judo and rugby that i'd done i think that's the thing that carried me through and it's like you've done that was like it's a combat sport and so a high contact one rugby like your robustness yeah. quite high yeah and obviously you, you built quite a large aerobic capacity and muscular endurance from those two sports for what, 16 15 16 years of your life yeah. like, you were probably higher on the scale than you thought but obviously because you weren't prepared for those tests like all stuff yeah exactly like i think if i just had someone guiding me saying okay you need to get better at running um to get a better mile and a half time and so on like it would have made my life so much easier in basic training because i hated going for runs <laughs> i despised it um still do um especially in, in basic training uh but when it came to things like the circuit training sessions we did like i think again because of my background in judo and rugby that stuff was so, that came so much more naturally to me um than going for a run did and for someone to just highlight that based on a battery of testing or assessments and go actually okay look you've got really good muscular endurance we don't need to focus so much on that what we actually need to do is focus on your running capabilities or your running technique even at 16 and 17 you well i, I joined at 16 probably got, i was quite gangly and coordination is quite low so having someone go through jumping landing mechanics single leg balance stuff um like running mechanics to just drill those would have maybe taken 30 seconds off my mile and a half time without actually it's hard. I'll always put this in quote marks getting me much fitter you just improved yeah. my um, efficiency um, and like ability to, to produce force over and over again um, so it's whereas 
nowadays the, through media, your well, my thought process I think would have been okay. Let's just do random stuff all of the time every single day, and you you're just again setting yourself up for failure potentially. Um, if you're one of the lucky ones that's naturally quite resilient and adapts well, um, you might get through it. But uh, again, like I said, you're probably reducing your chances of passing by doing that instead of increasing your chances. How many potential candidates for military kind of careers go and they want to, I'm going to train to do this. Oh, you know, I'm going to go do CrossFit for a year. Yeah, probably probably work, probably get to pass the test, but probably going to suffer in the long run. One of my clients now who's preparing for tier one selection, um, one of their uh, oppos, or whatever you want to call them, the guys going through training with him, when they first started, was doing loads of like max efforts, just every day max effort 2K, followed by a max effort five rep max back squat and max effort X, Y, Z every day. And in the initial testing phases, he was well above my client. But I said to my client, mate, it's about the long game. It's all about the long game. He's, he's peaking, wait, he's, got, he's going to peak, if not peaking too early. And he's only going to get worse now without a structured training. Because all you can do at that point, and stress physiology tells us this, all you, look, just look at addiction, like to get a, of um, dopamine or whatever it's released when you do your first like, line of cocaine I don't know how I've gone to this um, <laughs> it, you don't have to do that much but the next time you have to do a bit more you have to do a bit more you have to do a bit more because the receptors desensitize to that stimulus and it's the same with random training and intense training is your your ability to adapt desensitizes and the only way to get better in that realm is to go harder and harder and harder and do more and more and more every single day and you it gets to a point where you just physically can't you can't your body just cannot handle that because like you said earlier if you're taking too many big steps too quickly you have to be playing a long game here um and like i said if i if i just had someone with a little bit of guidance I know I would have done much better in my basic training. The simplest way to like, make an analogy of that is if you go for a run. Let's say you're going for a, a five-mile run. And you do the first mile as hard as you can. You'll probably end up, those last two miles are going to be pretty fucking tough. Yeah. If you've got a nice steady pace, slowly increase your pace, you go through those miles, you'll probably go and finish like 30 minutes before the other person. That's yeah. the easiest way like with your training plan towards a goal if you smash the first part so hard you will probably find the last part really tough probably fail yeah and two years is a long period of time to train for something like to stay motivated and to stay focused it's extremely hard because i think as humans we're not naturally set up for that we're not like as cavemen and when we were roaming the country instead of being nomads we weren't thinking about like our retirement package and our pension. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a function of like modern day security. Um, but then we were thinking, okay, like how do I provide food for for tomorrow? Like what can I kill to give food to my family? Like we. So I think we're 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 still set up 
on our biology to think in the short term because that's what kept up kept us kept us uh, kept us alive for a period of time but it might have kept us alive for 35 years and now we're able to stay alive for 95 years there were no 95 year olds like two three hundred years ago <laughs> they, like they weren't living that long and uh, that's a function of modern day society recent modern day within the last hundred of years um so i think it's it's important to again if you can get a coach or follow a plan of some sort that's if not completely specified to you at least like half specified or um you're going to increase your chances exponentially of passing um, not just the, the PRMC but Royal Marines basic training and the parachute regiment basic training which are extended tough training processes they're not there to um, necessarily coach you along there's an element of that yes but at the same time there is an element of that if you aren't strong enough you ain't going to make it it's shit dust unfortunate and there's yeah, it's not like a tip we spoke about it last I guess it'd be last episode if you upload these in the right order. <laughs> yeah. Um the the testing parameters are lower because they want more people coming in to filter through to get the right ones. Where that tier two like the entrance parameters are much tougher because they're looking for a certain type of individual. Mm. So like I lost my train of thought, but Yeah, you're right. right so. <laughs> And you have to think that someone can be moulded into that, no matter the personality type. I think they can be moulded into that um, if you prepared right for for that moulding process. Like the re the real the big reason why a lot of people fail these tier two level courses, I don't think it's because of mindset and want of passing. It's it is because of musculoskeletal injuries. Like the for instance, I got through basic training. But when I went to my phase two training, um, my like uh, I had ITB syndrome and like patella tendon, patella tendonitis. Like I remember being in agony trying to run, um, and it was only because, like it's only because the the pressure is off a little bit that I was able to go on the sick for a week enough to again to allow me to recover just enough to pass it. But if I just prepared better and had more uh, running volume accumulated and, and and like stronger tendons then I may have done better than I uh, had wanted to or, or than I could have if that makes sense well I did that's better <laughs> um, yeah so I think wrapping it up physical attributes required for um, the Royal Marines and the Parachute Regiment basic training and then the, the rung above them the Brigade Reconnaissance Forces, Pathfinders and Special Forces Support Group and areas of police, firefighters and Coast Guard. We are thinking along the lines of the base that we need, uh, that we discussed in our last podcast of aerobic capacity and muscular endurance. And now we're starting, on to, starting to add on um, areas of the strength continuum, um, namely absolute strength and strength endurance. But we also, especially with females, we need to consider tendon strength. So we have to consider time and lead up to the process. Don't think that in six weeks you're going to develop the uh, necessary requirements 
Um, you might do, but a high chance of you not. Necessary requirements to be successful in these courses. Um, tendon strength, skeletal strength, so how strong your bones are, and body fat to muscle mass ratios because they're important when it comes to power output, um, when it comes to VO2 max, and doing pull ups and stuff like that. So uh, they're the basic standards. Anything to add there? No, it's just the same, isn't it? From the general population that we've spoken about in the past through tier one, tier two, the yeah. The physical attributes you need are the same, just the the level in which you need them increases significantly yeah. along the way. I think if you can get to sixty to seventy five percent somewhere in there of the final testing standard, especially for these uh, training courses, because um, they're training you into the role, they're not trying to train you out of it and select out when we're selecting in. Um, they, if you can get to that standard, then you'll you'll get the rest in the basic training period, um, and you'll continue to improve as opposed to being too fit or not fit enough, where you can just get worse because it's the stimulus in training is either too much or too little, um, and that's that's just the case of lasting it out if it's too much and doing your best if it's too little. Um, so yeah, if you're in the position where you're thinking about these processes and you're like, yeah, in two years I'm going to be. I'm going to earn my green or maroon beret um, and go on to do different things. Then con- and you're looking for a coach, I'll advise it, then contact us. And we can have a consultation, see if this is right for you before we make any decisions about actually starting. And um, then help you towards your goal with a individualised programme um, that covers not just the training, the exercises, but lifestyle that's required. And the mental state, mental skills training, nutrition training, um, so that you're able to handle and manage this stuff when you start going through the training processes. Contact us, info at base.training, or if you liked the sound of one of our voices, put our name, so Lee, Stefan, or Will, and then at base.training, and you can organise a consult with those guys. Until then, until next time, we're going to be talking about tier one athletes, so special forces, the cool shit that everyone loves. (laughs) Peace.